Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited for this week's episode with Melissa Ambrosini and Nick Broadhurst. Melissa is a best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl. She is also a highly successful podcast host and is in partnership with an incredible individual by the name of Nick Broadhurst, uh, who is a very accomplished musician, hosted his own podcast. And I was listening to their yin and yang episodes, and they really exemplified the qualities that I admire in relationship. Two whole and complete individuals that somehow together create something exponential. And so when I found out they were in town from their native Australia, I reached out and I said, I would love to have you on the show. And thankfully, they accepted my offer. And we had an epic conversation covering from topics uh, around health and wellness to sexuality to relationships and how to create an absolutely epic relationship. So I think you will get a tremendous amount of value from this episode. I know that I did. And it's absolutely chuck full of goodness. Now, if you get a chance, uh, we're, we're crossing over here on uh, 250 reviews. All of your reviews mean the world to me. So please take a moment, if you're enjoying the podcast, to head over to iTunes and go ahead and leave us a rating and review. It means the world to me, and it helps us move up in the algorithm. I also want to take a moment to shout out our sponsors. This show is brought to you by two uh, incredible companies. The first is Lifecycle. Lifecycle is my go-to for adaptogenic mushroom tonics. Uh, they just actually got shouted out by Dave Asprey uh, on Joe Rogan. They have incredibly potent uh, wild-harvested mushroom tonics that are epic across the board. I interviewed their founder, Julian Mitchell, on a Mind Key episode where we delved into the efficacy of each of the mushrooms and why they are so valuable and have been used for thousands of years in various medical traditions. I use the lion's mane every day for cognition. They have chaga, they have cordyceps, they have uh, reishi. Um, a lot of the world's best adaptogenic mushrooms they have in these incredible tinctures that are grown here in the U.S. and uh, wild harvested. They also have something I'd never heard of before, uh, a plum that is endemic to Australia that has of the highest vitamin C content. So if you're thinking about boosting your immunity, I uh, highly recommend you check out Lifecycle, L-I-F-E-C-Y-K-E-L.com and put in PeakMind20 at checkout and you'll get 20% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is your go-to source for high-quality, humanely raised, antibiotic-free meat. Uh, they have uh, basically pasture-raised, grass-fed and grass-finished beef, wild-caught uh, salmon, as well as a variety of other uh, meat sources that are ethically raised, and you are always guaranteed to be raised without uh, hormones and antibiotics. Uh, really important for a lot of folks, uh, which I just drove through the country, at, that live in the food desert where their their only option is, uh, is conventional meats. I highly recommend you check out ButcherBox.com. 
And if you put in Peak Mind at checkout, you'll not only get a discount, but they're often running really incredible promotions. So depending on when you're listening to this, uh, go ahead and check them out. Again, butcherbox.com and put in Peak Mind at checkout. And with that, and without further ado, it is my great pleasure to introduce Nick Broadhurst and Melissa Ambrosini. All right, let's get started. I'm here with uh, Melissa Ambrosini and Nick Broadhurst. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you. Great yeah. to be here. Yeah. yeah. Such an honor. Thank you. So, context is, I, as I mentioned to you uh, before we started the show, I, I, was, I just bought a camper van and I was driving. I've been listening to your work for some time. But I tapped into you guys do these yin and yang episodes, and you talk a lot about the the, the, the polarities and the and the masculine and the feminine. And one of the impetuses for me, I mean, you guys are incredible entrepreneurs, musicians, you know, successful, you know, have been incredibly successful with your podcast. Um, but one of the things I admire most, and, and I was very intrigued by, is the, the way that you show up as a couple. And for me, speaking vulnerably, it's something I deeply want to call in in my own life. Um, and so I was really inspired by the idea of reaching out to couples I feel exemplify the kind of partnership that I would like to embody and call forth. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you guys about, and I know many listening you know, are also looking to call in their, their, their person, their king, their queen, is I know you, 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 you sort of met and, and very quickly decided to, you know, to sort of commit in a deep way. But what was it within you? Because I feel like so much of the work is within ourselves. What was it within each of you, and maybe we can start with Melissa, that you felt the work you had to do to prepare yourself to call in the other? Wow. Well, we had both individually done a lot of internal work before we got together. And I'm so grateful that we did that. There was a lot of healing that I needed to do. There was a lot of... Um, self-love that needed to be worked on and I had kind of been doing that for about six years before I met maybe longer like 2010 to 2013 I had been working on myself really deeply meditating doing a lot of healing and it was so beautiful to then meet someone who'd already been as well doing a lot of the healing himself. And so when we came together, we came together as two whole and complete people, which is so beautiful because I'd never experienced that before. All of the relationships that I'd had before, they wanted to save someone and I wanted saving. So it was like this, they feel devoid in me and I feel devoid in them. But when Nick and I came together, it was very different. It was two whole and complete people coming together to share their completeness, to share their wholeness. We had no agendas. We had no expectations. We were speaking about uh, not having children, not getting married. We were just so open. And, you know, when you said we decided to you know, go deep very quickly. It wasn't even like it was a choice. Mm. It was choiceless. There was no thought process about it. It truly was being guided. And I do really think that there has to be a level of inner work that we do um, always, not necessarily before you meet your soulmate, because I know lots of people who met their soulmates when they were 15 and they grew together and that happens too. But in our situation, that wasn't the case. He had a practice marriage. 
I had been through my fair share of relationships. And so when we came together, we had both done a lot of work and we went deep very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's did beautiful. I, did I miss anything? That's pretty solid. <laughs> <laughs> but you had been in a partnership previously, right? And you yeah. have a son, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it? And I think it's, I think it's actually more common now that people, uh, it feels like we're in a sort of generational shift in the paradigm of marriage. And I feel like it's it's very common to have a partnership and then, you know, consciously or sometimes unconsciously uncouple. Um, what did you learn from the previous relationship that and, and what work did you do to prepare yourself for this one? Yeah, the work I was doing before I met Melissa was purely born out of absolute necessity mm. because I was, I mean, in, the, in my first marriage, I had no idea what it meant to be me, a man in the 21st century. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I was living up to the, I guess, the society norms, the expectations society puts on us. So I had left a successful music career and I went into a corporate career and I had the expensive house, the big mortgage, the white picket fence, the two BMWs, and I had that life. Um, And I had a partner at the time who, in hindsight, I can see her feminine was crying out for all sorts of different things that I didn't know, I couldn't even recognize at the time. So I didn't, I didn't fuel her feminine at all, really. You know, I was pretty devoid in that area. So for me, once that broke down, it was a very painful process because I have a, now a 14-year-old son, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> but, um, but amazing because he's just so beautiful. Um, but I was... I'd gone from that relationship into another really beautiful relationship actually afterwards, but I could see the same things happening. I could see the same patterns repeating. And I felt this part of me which was really like a hole within myself. Like there was a huge part of me missing. And it felt really gross and and yucky to be me for a long time because I just felt like I wasn't... I knew there was something missing, but I didn't know what it was. And so I had started to do a lot of my own learnings in this other relationship but I didn't really put anything into practice it was very it was just knowledge and very sort of intellectual and but I could see the patterns repeating but I just had these blocks that just stopped me from doing something about it and the blocks came from excuse me from pain from fear from the previous relationship so when I was actually going to propose to that person we had a perfectly fine happy relationship it would have been a perfectly fine you know relationship I'm sure marriage but deep inside, I knew there was more. I just knew it. So instead of proposing, I was away on a surf trip at the time. Instead of proposing, I came back and we separated. I had the ring and everything ready to go. So I was coming back to propose and we ended up separating. And we both knew it was time for us to go and, and do something without each other. Whatever that was, it was scary too. But from that, I grieved intensely for like three days. Really intensely. As opposed to like a year before. And then just that was it like that grief had passed very quickly I missed my partner but I met someone else very quickly and we had six months together where I felt open enough with her to start putting to practice the things that I've been learning um, you know the books that inspired me like The Way of the Superior Man a lot of Taoist practices and tantric practices I'd never had the courage or um, vulnerability to go there with anyone I didn't feel like I had the, the match and the inner partner to, to meet me there and I met with this person in that space and so we got to play with that a lot and this awoke within me a part of my masculine which was like 
it was it felt like coming home mm. you know because I felt like oh my god this is me I'm me you know like there's this huge part of me missing and now it's not and it was such an incredible feeling and that relationship ended after six months very beautifully and peacefully we're still really good friends and I found myself in a period of being single for maybe three months where I was just going intensely into into personal growth like I really was I had very esoteric practices I was just going hard um I think to a degree there was some loneliness there as well which I was trying to probably bypass a little bit but that started to fade out as I became more on whole within myself and we really came together at a point where I would say the first time in my life I ever felt whole I felt so content within myself I really didn't need a partner anymore Hmm. right but I realize now in hindsight that I had done all the learning I could possibly do on my own because when you get into a relationship, you now you enter a new container. And I had a spotlight, maybe like a pocket torch light that was I could shine on myself. But when you meet your match, your one, it's like they have a freaking huge spotlight, this great big thing, right? <laughs> and they, they shine a light on things that you just wouldn't have seen on your own. Yeah. You know? Maybe you can, but I think it's a lot it's a longer journey. So I think that this sacred container of marriage or relationship, long-term relationship, is the most incredible opportunity for personal growth. And I think it's it's skipped over so much in today's world because of that instant gratification. People want things to be easy. People want them to be great all the time. And that's just a pure fantasy because meeting your soulmate, your one, whatever you want to call it, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. It's going to be amazing, but it's freaking hard too. So the most challenging times in my life uh, have definitely come from us being together. There's stuff we've had to work through together. But from that, I've arrived at a place within myself where I feel like I like who I am. I like this person, Nick. Like I really feel comfortable within myself. So, yeah, that's sort of how it came about for us. But the, the process of us coming together was really interesting because um, we had zero expectations. So we showed up with zero fear said exactly what was on our heart. And we had, I would say, not a lot of physical attraction at the very beginning. We just were present with each other and really just absorbing each other's energy, really. And uh, I was attra- very attracted to you. There was attraction, yeah. <laughs> like, let's just clarify that. No, but I think there was a I moment. I was super attracted to you. I think there's a moment it changed, though. Like, yeah. it, it went from, like, a, a curious attraction to, like, I'm going to freaking tear your clothes off every time I see you and and there was a moment where a lot of we had a couple of dates and not really dates talks I would say and we'd covered so much ground that I think so much was now covered we we then had a proper date and we literally just had this moment I was walking into her car and saying goodbye to her and she turned around to me and looked at me and we know the moment Mm -hmm. clearly where something in that moment just changed. We, we saw each other's eyes in that moment and then all of a sudden the floodgates of love opened. And it's like the, we truly saw each other. We saw each other. Like fully saw each other. Like his eyes looked different, the colour of his eyes. And I remember you saying to me, like, your eyes are so much more green. It's true, yeah. And then we had, a, I guess, our first proper date after that, which was like a natural, like, hey, come around. You know? <laughs> um, and... We went out to dinner and we started talking about marriage and and then yeah, that was two weeks later we were engaged and it was it's a very very bizarre but beautiful process of just 
following or being guided by some invisible force that just felt totally natural and right. And to be honest, it felt neutral, mm. not exciting, not, I mean, exciting, but not like giddy exciting, just, okay. Just, just like, cool, let's do this. Just mm. like being guided. Yeah. It's beautiful because as I, what I, some of the things I'm hearing from you, it's, it's that notion of first doing that work to feel that wholeness and completeness within. I think there's still this prevailing narrative of people feeling like they need to find the person that completes them mm. as in, okay. Wh- and I think it goes to this kind of cultural narrative of if only I have this, then I'll be happy. Right? Like where it's really our beingness that sources all of those things. Uh, so it's, it's this unfortunate, I think narrative that, that, that we're sold from a very young age of, okay, when I have this, then it'll be complete. Then I'll be happy. And, and what you're saying which is interesting. I mentioned to you before uh, we started recording that I just actually came back from a ceremony, very beautiful ancient Mexican flower ceremony, actually, where you pray. It's 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 extremely beautiful. Um, it's a group, a community group, and the women pray over the copal of each flower, and it's an honoring of the earth, but it's an also an honoring and calling in of uh, of love, and. The, the couple that held this ceremony also exemplify a relationship that I truly admire. They're, they're very committed to each other, also spiritually. But one of the things that they mentioned, which I also heard in what you're saying, is it isn't easy. It's not like the relationship, all of a sudden, like you find your person and you see the glow of, like I see you guys holding hands or I saw them sort of cut. And it's just like, of course you see that and you're like, wow, I, I yearn for that in a way. But also recognizing that there's profound levels of work in that commitment. And, and there's liberation in that, as, as is with any journey, it seems. You know, the, the fulfillment comes from, from the, the breaking through the challenges. What, what, what for you guys, you mentioned, you mentioned Way of the Superior Man and David Data. And I know, Melissa, you've done a tremendous amount of work in listening to your show. Is there a particular modalities or pathways um, that you found particularly helpful or, or you return to um, to help bring you back to center, if you will, so that you can be fully in yourself and fully present with the other? Mm, absolutely. Every day we meditate. So mm. we do transcendental meditation or also known as Vedic meditation, which is the 20 minutes twice a day. Nick's been doing it for how long now? Um, 10 years. No, more actually, 12 years. And I have been doing it for about seven years and 20 minutes twice a day. We are so dedicated to our practice because it brings us back to our center every time. And I think, you know, the work doesn't stop when you get into a partnership or whether you're single, the work doesn't stop. You're always going to be working within doing the internal work it just gets amplified when you're in a partnership because there's nowhere to hide they call you out on your stuff and I think the most important thing for people to know is that it doesn't ever end but the more you cultivate a beautiful relationship within yourself where you can sit and be still you can hear these messages that come through clearer that you can feel what needs to be healed and released a lot quicker And I think, you know, there's so many modalities and so many things that you can do. There's incredible podcasts like yours. There's books. There's seminars. There's workshops. There's kundalini yoga. There's normal yoga. There are so many incredible tools that we have access to. And I think it's about finding whatever it is for you 
that brings you back to your center. And for us, it is meditation. And Nick also surfs, you know, that's a huge one for him too. But whatever it is, just find it and then do it every day. It blows my mind. Um, you know, I speak to some people and they're highly stressed and they're highly anxious and they still won't meditate. And I'm like, what is the resistance? Like, what is the block? And it's purely ego. It's purely fear. It's what I call the inner mean girl. Yeah. Like saying, oh, you don't have time to do this. And it blows my mind. I'm like, you're experiencing all of these things that could very much be supported, be helped with meditation. It just blows my mind. That's why we are just so passionate about it. And it's done so much for us individually and then as a couple as well. Do you meditate together as part of your practice or do you each have your own sort of rhythms in, in the way you approach it? We do and both. We both, we, mm-hmm. it just depends. Like when we've got Nick's son, Leo with us, like it's, it's different. Like sometimes we tag team, I'll go meditate. He does the school drop off. Like, and then sometimes I'm like, I'm going to meditate. And he's like, Oh cool. I'll join you. Like, but we don't have a strict rule around it we just kind of whatever flows flows that day yeah the the meditation i feel like is such a profound gift and i love that surfing is all i mean it's an active it was interesting i also interviewed gabby recent laird hamilton and he was talking about the correlation between surfing and that practice and her embracing him pursuing that right which is interesting because and this goes back a bit to the masculine you know there's this and Gabby Reese is this incredibly strong woman, but she talks about surrendering very deeply into her feminine in the presence of him and his masculine and, and respecting the surf, right? Like he, and he goes off and surfs, you know, 70, 80 foot waves, right? So that can be a fatal, you know, that could be a fatal practice. But I think that there's something about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, about when in, in coupling, honoring and respecting that which brings the other person to center. And mm-hmm. even, and especially, I, and I can't remember if it was David Data, but this is a bit of an extreme uh, context, but he talks about actually, say, say a, a man is called to war in a traditional culture, not saying going off in, in some glorified violence, but to protect the family, if you will, right, uh, in tribal societies. A woman would never want the man to leave, of course, because that could potentially lead to the loss of their partner and father of their children, etc. But in some ways, there's a respect and knowing of the necessity for the man to go off and do that and be in his masculine. And in, in, and if he didn't, like out of fear, if he chose not to, no, I just want to stay with the family, actually in some ways it would lose the integrity of that stand for something which is the higherness of that person. And so... I don't know, Nick, if you have a sense of of that purpose or that higherness for you. I know music is, at least it occurs to me as part of it. It seems like surfing and meditation are some of the ways in which you can sort of tap back into that place that Melissa's talking about. Um, but for you, in terms of your masculinity, uh, what what has been, because you mentioned some of the Taoist practices and, and David Data, the curiosity is, what are the practices that you utilize to both bring yourself back to center, but also in, in, in the masculine sense, you know, I think there's a context of your purpose having to be paramount. Um, the, and in fact, as I understand it, for the feminine to truly trust the masculine, she needs to trust that he's living in his purpose. Yeah. That, 
even though she would want to be the center of his world, if he if if she's the center of his world without purpose, it will lose its efficacy. It will lose its poignancy and its potency. So the question really is, what are the ways in which, and I sense some of the ways in which you find center, but what are the ways in which you both find that center, but also that purpose that you're committed to, to maintain that, that essence of, of who you are? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, it's certainly, if I spend too much time working in Melissa's business and not enough time on my music, the polarity within us just starts to erode because I'm less on mission, less on my own purpose. So we're, we're very, very mindful of that, aren't we? Um, we can tell when that's happening. Because sometimes there's periods where her business needs, uh, f- certainly from a high-level perspective, needs that masculine push mm. in terms of energy. Um, so I bring that into the business. And if I stay there too long, it can definitely cause the issues for us. For sure. Not issues, but um, irritability almost because I'm, I'm not as much on mission. But I think what's really important for... And this, this can be, this is more relevant to men, I think, definitely, because we're talking about men because the masculine is more prominent in men. Um, and that comes down to the preservation of energy, of our yang energy. And the fastest way to deplete our yang energy is to ejaculate. And so I grew up in a world where sex was not discussed I didn't know really, I never had a conversation about masturbation. It was kind of accidentally discovered by myself. And then to some extent, you know, obsessively um, explored because I was fascinated about this thing. Little did I know that I was literally just depleting myself for for years and years and years. That way, you know, from very, very early teen years to, I guess, 30 years old, just constant depletion. So I think one of the most important things men can do is to first of all retain that yang energy. And the practice of semen retention is so simple when you get the mechanics of it down. It becomes very automatic. It's not even really a thought process. It's just it's just automatic in lovemaking. And so for me, that's an absolute essential. The separation of ejaculation and orgasm for men is, is a very, very important thing. And it's not really spoken about enough, I think. Um, what are the resources people can use to explore and learn that practice? I think some of the best really practical guides would be The Multi-Orgasmic Man, which is written by Montak Jia and I think Douglas Abrams, I think his name was. Um, because it's very step-by-step, simple ways of doing that in your daily life and also, <clears throat> excuse me, in your lovemaking. Because mm. it is a daily practice until you get to a point where you have literally the muscle to to do it it's, you've got to kind of go to the gym with your mm-hmm. pelvic floor muscle to, to get there right <laughs> yeah. um, or not maybe you've got it naturally but at the time I had a very weak pelvic floor because I'd come through um, a very very long like three year episode of meningitis I was triggered by meningitis but I was almost housebound or bedridden for like three years so my core had just completely switched off so my pelvic floor was like non-existent so I had to rebuild that um, so I think reading any of Montag Chia's work is really really fantastic for men Mm. I think it's foundational every single man I believe should understand the power of ejaculating and what the expense of that is in their world Um, and creativity talk about it in a sense of what it does to your creativity I think everything becomes more mediocre when you're spitting out that young energy Mm. because it's not serving a purpose unless you're making a baby Mm. you know the ideal would be that you don't ejaculate and 
when it's time to make a baby, you ejaculate once and then you make a baby and then you retain it again, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, well, that's unhealthy. It's a natural thing. What's unhealthy is to retain it without knowing how to circulate it. So if you walk past a really beautiful woman, even if you're in a relationship, it could still trigger that yang energy because what happens is the sperm, the yang energy comes from the sperm. They start vibrating and getting exciting and all that yang energy gets stirred up. And if you leave it down there in your testicles, you're going to want to either run off and have an affair with that person or masturbate, you know, it becomes this mental fantasy. All you have to do, literally you can do it in one breath. It just move it out of that energy, mm. out of that area of your body and just circulate it. It's literally one breath. Mm. Like how simple is that, right? And not only have you now gone from a state of um, excitedness and potential wasting of yang, you've now taken that really potent energy and circulated it for your own healing. So it's like the polarity of the experience. You could be wasting it or healing yourself with it, mm. right? And it's such a simple thing. So, I mean, for me personally, I think remaining centered first of all comes with the cultivation of that yang energy mm. um so once you sort of have that down then there's lots of things you can do but staying on purpose is so important because i've been in relationships where i had no purpose i was doing i i, I was on a mission but it wasn't my mission mm. it was society's mission i was being i was working in the corporate world working very hard pushing very hard ticking all those boxes that wasn't fueling me, Nick Broadhurst, you know, this person in this lifetime in this body. And so even though I was out there doing my thing, to a degree that fueled the feminine because they felt safe and secure and stable within that, but they didn't have any inspiration from the masculine because my masculine was com- completely suppressed. Mm. Yeah, yeah it, you, what you just evoked for me is our, our dear mutual friend, Preston Smiles. You know, he was telling me that he actually took a period, you know, he, he definitely uh, enjoyed the company of females for a period in time, and then he actually paused, and he went on six months celibacy, fun, yeah, celibacy. Mm-hmm. and that's when he got super clear and called in his partner, Alexi. And that's so right. I, that all, the idea of that always scared me, but I, I definitely have seen as I paired out things that do not serve me in ways that distract my energy. And I mean, even just if you look at, aside from just the, the spiritual aspects, just the time it spends in, I mean, I'm still in the d- dating context, you know, but like from, you know, texting to dates to what, whatnot, <laughs> if you're not aligned with that person, like mm-hmm. the consumption of time, and I've really been thinking about this, this notion of the distinction between, there's a gentleman who, who recently passed, it's amazing, named Sean Stevenson, he's called the Three Foot Giant. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, got a, you know Sean? I yeah. Him, yeah. yeah, he's amazing. But he talked to me about this distinction between fun and fulfillment. And, and I think our culture, as you said, in sort of that short-term gain, is almost obsessed with the pursuit of fun, transactional fun, but oftentimes at the cost of fulfillment. And actually, you can still have fun, but be in pursuit. It's, it's perhaps a, a higher mountain to climb or a more challenging course. But oftentimes, if you pursue the fulfilling mountain, the depth of that fun that you can experience in doing that work, in restraint, which is kind of what you're talking about, for example, in the context of ejaculation, but that notion of like of discipline and restraints, but actually still having an orgasmic experience, but one that still enables you to be fulfilled and to be able to create. And I feel like, especially for the men listening, um, it's such a powerful and potent practice to come into a relationship with discipline and not just pursue the transactional fun. And Obviously, you guys, at least in my book, are a manifestation of what is possible in that regard. Um, 
I wanted to quickly jump in and just say something about celibacy. Please. I think we can reframe that whole conversation a bit because I'm just sitting here listening and observing my own thoughts about celibacy mm. and it sort of inspires or invokes a feeling of a semi-religious discipline almost, mm. celibacy. You hear that within obviously priests and monks, etc. It's quite a monastic practice, celibacy. But I think we can reframe that as to always being open to making love in the presence of love but don't make love in the absence of love. Mm. So while you don't have to say, I'm going to be celibate for this period of time because you're closing yourself off to a potential experience of love. Um, so I think the most important thing here is that, as I said before, is when you're making love, make sure it's in the presence of love. That's, that's the point of that. And in the meantime, the greatest act of self-love, you've got that yourself. You can, you can make love with yourself. As a man, you can practice all these Taoist practices or tantric. If you want to look at the difference between Taoism and Tantra, I would say, obviously there's way more to them than just sexual practices, mm-hmm. but that's the part we're talking about. I would say that Tantra is, sorry, Taoism is Tantra without all the deities. Mm. It's a bit more simple, mm. right? So it depends what you resonate with. Personally, we come from a meditati- meditation background, which is tantric based. Mm. But my sexual education has come from Taoism because it feels more practical, which is Chinese. Um, so you can, within Taoism, you can really cultivate this discipline at home on your own just through self-pleasure without a partner. And then when you meet a partner in the presence of love, you get to use that skill that you've cultivated on your own. So I think that can just be a little subtle reframe on celibacy because I think celibacy implies that you are closing yourself off to something that actually may come along, which could be really worthwhile for you. Mm. So I think it is about not making love in the absence of love. I think Mm. it's more important to frame it that way. I love that. Mm. Beautiful distinction. Mm. For, For you, Melissa, what has been... I know that you've dealt. I mean, you, you've written a couple of wonderful books. Um, the, 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 obviously, I don't have a mean girl, but I definitely have uh, my own inner critic, um, which has been at times a, debilita- a bit debilitating force in my life. I have a very Me too. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm very cerebral, uh, which also I think ties into what you're just sharing because I think. Um, you know, we're often taught in a particular way that encourages that, that, that mental aspect. But at least for me, one of the great liberations has been not just training my mind through meditation and other practices, but actually moving more in alignment to my hearts and to my guts and actually finding the divine intelligence, which actually is biological. Um, you know, now we know the enteric nervous system in our gut and what we feed ourselves. I know you guys have, have talked a ton about that on your podcast, which I love. Um, but in that context of, of kind of, of transcending the critic, if you will, um, and stepping into a place of a more, um, you know, divine is the word that come up, comes up for me, but whatever that word is for you in terms of aligned intelligence and, and sort of quieting the critic so as to, because you, you, as I've researched you, you came through quite a transformation to be able to cultivate and create what you've created. So you have your own, you know, I think, you know, men, sometimes we dilute our creativity through, for example, uh, you know, unloving sex or what, what have you, other distractions. 
what's what was what was possible for you? Like, how did you go about for those listening, transcending that critic, that inner critic, that inner mean girl, such that you were able to step into this place of of creativity and being able to hold a space also for a great number of other women, uh, men as well, but to also embark on their own journeys. Mm-hmm. So back in 2010 was when I was highly aware of this inner critic in Mm. my head. I mean, it had been there, especially in my, even in primary school, high school, and then after high school. And then when I had this wake up call, I was 24 and I was in hospital, my health completely taken away from me. I had a whole host of physical health issues as well as mental health issues. So anxiety, depression and eating disorder and I was dealing with panic attacks. And so I had both going on, these physical ailments and these mental ailments and it wasn't until in that hospital bed that I was highly aware of this critical voice inside my head. Someone gave me a book that changed my life. That was Louise Hayes, You Can Heal Your Life. I remember reading this book, turning to my parents and going, why haven't you taught me this? And my mum would, she literally, I remember her, she just looked at me and she was like, oh, God, Melissa, like I was doing the best that I could. And yes, they absolutely were doing the best that they could. And, but at that time I felt cheated. I felt like, why has no one told me that love is the answer? Why has no one told me that in every moment you were either living from your truth or you were living from fear? Why has no one ever told me this? And I felt quite cheated and I felt a little bit angry. And, but from that moment, I took that, that, that anger and I turned it into inspiration. And I was like, okay, it is my mission now to get healthy and happy again and to help others. And I started this thing called a blog. <laughs> this, is, this is 2010, guys. So this is like revolutionary. And I began sharing what I was learning. I began talking about my struggle with my inner critic, my inner mean girl. I began talking about how mean she was around my body and what I ate and all these things that I was dealing with. And people were commenting and, and getting, I was getting so many messages and um, people would stop me in the street and say, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. Later when I met Nick, he, he said to me, have you looked at your Google Analytics? And I was like, Google what? Like, no, I haven't. <laughs> I knew what Google Analytics were, but I was like, no, I haven't. And he was like, do you know how many people are visiting your blog every year, every day, every month. And I was like, no. And I realized that I'd really hit a chord with women, especially. And I knew from there that I had been through everything I had been through. I had been through that incredibly challenging time, ending up in hospital and having no job, no money, my friends dumping me, the guy I was seeing dumping me and everything in my life falling apart, I realized that I had been through all of that so that I could then help others do the same. This is why I am here, to help others do the same, to help others have that same transformation. And when you really know that in every moment you're either choosing love or fear, your entire life changes. And then I created this cast process which is this this process to master that inner critic inside your head, which I did my TED Talk on, mm. um, which anyone listening can go and watch that. It's 14 minutes. 
And then um, I began, yeah, just speaking and podcasting and writing these books to really help people live from that place of love to... Because that, when we do that, that is when the gold happens. And that's why we're here. There is so much suffering in the world. There is so much pain in the world. There are so many people living from fear, living from their inner critic. And if we all just had that realization that it's either love or fear and we can choose, then I feel like we would be in a very different place. I agree. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's prevailing. Fear is so encouraged by, I think, the way that our culture and society is set up. And obviously, there's, there's definitely innate aspects of fear. Um, and we, we're, we're in this fascinating place where we still have, our, our humanity and our biology is still wired from, you know, thousands of years ago. And, and yet, we're living in this brave new world, as we were talking about a bit uh, before we jumped on, about technology and how it's sort of also changing our consciousness. And I think, you know, social media can be, I guess in a way it's agnostic, it can go positively or negatively. I think a lot of times it's being used negatively, but but it, it does kind of like, we are all kind of barraged, if you will, on a daily basis with things that can perpetuate that fear, if you will. Um, like social media. <laughs> like social media, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, 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 it, it's, it's an interesting time that we're living in, but I think you know, one of the things I think that's so powerful is you talking about jumping before, at least in my listening, jumping before you're ready mm. um, and starting to, and come, if you're come from is a place of love and you're come from is a place of service, like ostensibly you are sh- just sharing your truth with, in, w- with the impetus of trying to be of service to the, you know, th- those that were listening and, and it's sense grown. Uh, and it's, it's, and I think this is one of the areas in which technology is phenomenal to me because I listened to you guys literally in a camper van on a way to New, Me- New Mexico. And it's actually visceral because I was listening to that conversation. I remember exactly where I pulled in. Like music can kind of create almost like, you know, they say our olfactory or our scent, our scent is our greatest, you know, mnemonic memory kind of inducing. But, but sound and music is so deep. Um, and so the platforms and are, are, are really compelling and being able to listen, for example, to your podcast, listening to your podcast, Nick, which I know you've now gone all in on, on your music. Um, that is one area in which I think anyone listening can really benefit because one of the things that I've we're sort of generated is this conversation right here, right? Like here's two people I admire. I was like, Oh, I really like the way that they show up in their relationship. We've never met before mm-hmm. yet. This, this platform has enabled this kind of meeting to happen. And hopefully, obviously, my hope is that we'll, we'll get together again. Um, but in the context of being of service, I feel like people, one of the things I, I've just started sharing is like if, when you create a platform, whatever that platform is, and I, you know, I didn't know, I'm, luckily a lot of more people than I thought showed up to the conversation, but I thought when I launched this thing, oh, maybe four people listen. But you know what, if those four people get value, it's great, and that process has been such a service to me. And I know you, you guys have, have been in, in this journey a bit longer, but uh, I just felt inspired to share that. Like I was, I was, I was moved by the fact that you showed up in a way that was of service. And I feel like, at least whenever I'm in my shit or my critic, the fastest thing that gets me out of it is being of service. Like mm. is is stepping back into that place of love. Like mm-hmm. I remember being at like a coffee shop and it was like, man, I was really in my critic. Uh, it was just back, you know, back when I was doing this Dalai Lama event and I thought it was all going to fall over and it was the consequences were going to be huge. And I remember I was working with a coach at the time and he's like, 
buy a coffee for the person behind you. Mm. And I was like, so simple. Yeah. It's so simple. So simple. Like suffering. (laughs) And I don't know who said this first. Suffering is focusing on yourself. Yeah. And if you want to take that attention off yourself and put it on someone else, that is when we feel peace. Like there's so many times where I'm like, I'm I'm like, I need to go and do something for someone else. And Nick's like, yeah, go and help a friend, go and do something. Like if I feel that suffering, it is so simple. Just take the attention off you and take it to service and that suffering will lift. It's so simple. And I think service can also invoke certain, you know, images in our mind as to what that is. And we speak about this a lot because people often ask us, how do I find my purpose? Mm. How do I find what I'm here to do? And how can I be of more service? And it's really very simple. Now, humans are all here for the same reason. We're all here to be of service. Mm. That is our purpose. That's it. Like everyone knows listening to this now what their purpose is their purpose is to be of service you don't right? need to go to Bali and find it you don't. <laughs> exactly well we, said we, we just told you it's to be of service and the way that you do that your purpose is to be of service your, and your mission how you choose to do that is up to you whether it's through music or books or podcasting that is painting art whatever being the best mom that's service but everyone's purpose is to be of service your the way you do it through your mission is unique to you so i we we do feel like a lot of purple people do come up and they're like what's my purpose in this world what am i meant to do we're like so stop asking that question in the first place because you know it's right there because what is my what is my purpose Mm. it's my and i that focus on my and i it's like well first of all stop focusing on that focus on service and there you mm. go there's your answer um, I was going to go something with that I've lost my train of thought <laughs> well I think you left it actually in a really beautiful note because I think that's so true it's it's perhaps simple but it's it's so profoundly true that the more we focus out and the more we you know it, it can be debilitating as, you know it's a tricky world because obviously I'm encouraging of personal growth and personal development and some people actually use that to spiritually bypass you know it's like they they just because they're so focused on the me and mine as you just I think so eloquently said and I think the fastest thing that I've seen anytime I'm in my shit is part of my language but is to focus out and to be of service and to step back into that ethos of love yeah it's interesting because I see what you're saying because when you say, look, when you're focusing on yourself, you're not, that's a very quick way to cause suffering. I know when the greatest period of suffering in my life, I was just completely focused on me. Mm. But in personal development, you need to focus on your higher self, mm-hmm. right? Which is different to yourself with a lower, with a small S. If we're focusing on yourself, we're the big S, our capital S. Um, and that's the distinction because when you're focusing on yourself with a small s, you are, it's a feeling which is more contracting. When you're focusing on yourself with a capital S in two words, it's a feeling of expansion. So that's how you can determine very quickly whether the focus is of service or not. Mm. Yes. If it's expansive or contracting, and it's a that. feeling everyone can feel very quickly. I love that. Well, I want to be mindful uh, of you guys because I want to be in integrity with your time. And I'm so <laughs> grateful for 
you guys spending a little time with me. I really appreciate it. Hopefully this won't be our last conversation. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but where, I mean, I'm, I obviously uh, each of you have an incredible podcast. Nick, I know you've doubled down. Um, where can people find, I know you've gone all in on your music. Obviously people can find your podcast as well, but I'd like to know where, where people who are listening can c- come find more of each of you. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for me personally, the greatest thing I want people to do is hear my music. Mm. And so wherever you listen to music, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, Amazon, wherever else, SoundCloud, it's all out there. So you just search for my name, Nick Broadhurst, and you'll and find it. And follow. That. Click follow. See, my PR. <laughs> it's, very, it's a good partner. It's very important, you, that click. Yeah. It's, it's um, algorithm-based. But, um, and I just released a single a couple of weeks ago called Breathe which I'm really, really proud of. And it is actually purely about the polarity of relationship. Mm. The chorus is, I'll be waiting for you, I'll be waiting for you, I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> and the end of the song is, you'll be waiting for me. And it's about where in relationship, generally we have found that one person is going through a period of growth, which can sometimes be challenging, and normally is challenging, um, and the other person's holding space. So... You know, you'll you'll be waiting for me. I'll be waiting for you. That constant change. Yin and yang, yin back and, yang. and forth. Well, so that's the latest song, Breathe, which is really beautiful. Um, so check that out. I am on social media at I am Nick Broadhurst. My website is IamNickBroadhurst.com. And I've got my podcast, which is called The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Um, I've got both of my books, Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm on social media, just Melissa Ambrosini. And my website, Melissa Ambrosini, come and check it out. And do you know what? I would love anyone listening to tell me one thing that they got out of this and either tag all three of us on Instagram or send us individual DMs. But I love getting messages from people Mm -hmm. saying, I listened to your episode with Michael and this is what I got out of it. Like I love hearing what people take away from our work so please come and come and share i would love that so much and come and connect say hello let's be friends (laughs) let's be friends i like that uh nick broadhurst melissa ambrosini such a pleasure to sit with you and i want to just end by saying I, i honor the stand that you are in the world and i honor the stand that you are for each other it's uh it's very beautiful to to see and to have first to listen through the ways in which you are of service and now to have manifested this beautiful conversation. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. What a pleasure. Yes. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Melissa Ambrosini and Nick Broadhurst. Really fascinating couple. I really admire what they've created in their relationship, what they're up to as individuals and their stand in the world. And uh, I really recommend you check out their work. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, your, your reviews have meant the world to me. We have, uh, in 70 episodes, gotten over uh, 200, now I think 250 on the reviews. And uh, it helps us get incredible guests that I can bring to you, as well as to boost up and build the community through the algorithm. So, If you get a chance, please just take 10 seconds to leave a quick rating. And if you've got 25, 30 seconds, a review, mean the world to me. And uh, just want to say a heartfelt thank you for listening. It really, um, 
it's been one of the great pleasures of my life to commit to this work and to bring you epic guests week in, week out. So thank you for listening. And with that, please go out there and live your inspired life.